you know, everything that happens in ag is good for somebody. The question is who? That's probably a pretty good deal for the guy selling it, not such a good deal for the user. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Welcome to today's episode. Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, where we improve yields and increase profits. Our goal is to help you each and every day and to bring valid, solid information to you that improves your life. Today, guys, we're going to start a series on wheat. It's going to be very interesting because we are going to look at some different aspects of wheat production, although we will focus primarily on fertility. There are a lot of things that go into wheat production. We're well aware of those. It's important to get the right population. It's important to choose the right seed treatments to prevent disease. It's important to add a seed treatment to help get better germination and quicker start. It's important to study that crop throughout the year and make sure that we're staying in front of all the diseases. We need to know when to use what fungicide at what stage. We're going to focus on on today's episode is just some interesting facts about wheat production. I did a bunch of studying here over the last couple of days and started doing some things. Again, we're going to focus mostly on fertility in this episode. In future episodes, we're going to take a look at, for instance, row spacing. We're going to take a look at just some different things that you might find interesting and helpful to implement in your own farming operation. So with that being said, let me dive right in. One of the many things that I ran across was that there are just some consistencies throughout different studies that I looked at. As we do this, guys, I get very reluctant. You know, we get people who they want to quote one study. They want to say we had this study and it showed this and therefore we want to do all of it. One study in one location does not make us consistently believe that we should do something because different soil types, different things that went on. I I read some studies that were very poorly done. I'm going to share some of those with you as we go throughout this program here today. And we want to make sure that the data is valid and solid, that it wasn't ascertained in some hinky method, so to speak. One of the very first studies that I looked at was done, and actually this deal was just released. I just saw this on a website here this week, and it was a major land-grant university, and they were all revved up because they were quoting a study that was done by the dry fertilizer industry saying that boron doesn't work. They were even going so far as to say that boron is toxic and you should be very scared to use boron. Well, guys, I will admit boron can be toxic. So can water. You've heard me share the story of the lady who drank so much water that she killed herself in an attempt to win some concert tickets. So anything in excess is toxic. Now, they were talking about the fact, and this is how a lot of our land-grant universities have come up where they've just got the wrong idea. Our own one here in Iowa, they came up with the bright idea several years ago. They just, the title of the article in the newspaper or in the magazine was Zinc Doesn't Work. Well, you know, for an industry that embraces the four R's, they want to talk about the right product, the right place, the right time, the right source. They went O for four on that deal because what they were doing was they were broadcasting just a little bit of zinc sulfate. Zinc sulfate will move the needle on your soil test a little bit. But guys, when you broadcast four pounds of zinc sulfate, there's a granule every two or three square feet. The odds of it finding it are non-existent. And I'm giving you this background so you can better understand the stuff on wheat. But this test that was done on wheat, they went out and they broadcast three pounds of dry boron 
and said they saw no yield response. Therefore, boron doesn't work. Nothing could be further from the truth. Number one, don't be afraid of toxicity. We don't like throwing darts at a board, and that is no way to run your business. The fact is, if you will take this boron and broadcast it, it probably is an abject waste of money. You know, everything that happens in ag is good for somebody. The question is who? That's probably a pretty good deal for the guy selling it, not such a good deal for the user. But the fact is, there's nothing to be afraid of. Guys, when we run our tests through Midwest Labs, they come back and they show us what the boron levels are. And I see a few tests, very few tests, but I see a few tests of guys who do not need to apply boron. I've never seen a test that was high enough. I was worried about it being toxic, but I have seen tests that were sufficient. Now, that being said, over 90% of the tests that we look at across the Midwest are deficient. And I'm not talking a little deficient. I'm not talking low. I'm talking deficient. Your boron level needs to be 0.8 or above. Most of the levels that we look at are 0.2 to 0.4. And so we have a significant need for boron. Now, we've had growers run side-by-side tests, testing dry broadcast boron versus our liquid boron. There is no comparison. It is night and day. For whatever reason, that dry boron does not seem to translocate into the plant. But the liquid boron that we have that we put on, and it's easy to put on, we can do it foliar, we can do it in the soil, we can do it about any way we want, except it cannot be row applied. But other than that, there's no wrong way to do it. We can do it with fungicide, insecticide, herbicide. Any kind of of trip we're making can have boron in it. And when we do that, we get a tremendous yield response. And so I just want to make sure that sometimes we get to reading what they're writing in the magazines and we take it as the gospel truth, but we need to take a look at these studies and say, how was this study done? Did they use this product or did they just use a product? That's kind of like saying, you know, way back in the 70s, I knew a guy that had a Chevy Vega and it was a complete piece of junk. So you could draw the conclusion that all cars are junk. No, you can't draw that conclusion. That's not true. Okay, so you say, well, draw the conclusion that all Chevys are junk. That's not true either. The fact is, the Vegas were junk, all right? So when we draw these conclusions, sometimes we take them out and we make them have meaning that they really don't have. And it's important to rein that in and say, okay, what did we really learn here? And what they learned at that land-grant university was dry broadcasting three pounds of boron does no good. I totally agree with that. But that doesn't mean that boron doesn't do any good. It doesn't mean that it's not needed because it's very needed. As we start looking at some of these things, another test that I've seen ran, and and there's been multiple tests on this, is people get to talking about wheat needs chlorine. And they draw that conclusion from two different methods. The first conclusion is, is that they actually did some studies where they put on potassium chloride and they got a yield response. But where they did that, their potassium base saturation was less than 2%. So did they get a response to chloride or did they get a response to potassium? And I'm saying they got a response to potassium because when our base saturation rate is under 2%, we're going to have a significant response to the application of potassium. Now, there is a test in Kansas that was run correctly. K-State did it. And in one time, one time, They actually applied chloride and got a response to it, and that was in wheat. It was one test in one location. They were never able to duplicate it. Guys, I don't think that there's a big response to chloride 
in any crop. As a matter of fact, I think most of the time the response to chloride is actually there is a response, but it's negative. It harms our soil, it harms our structure, it harms a lot of things, and it does not increase yield. So we want to be very careful in looking at these studies and what they're showing us because getting any kind of a chlorine response is probably not going to be very likely, but a response to potassium can be. One of the things that I learned when I was going through this process was that if we're going to use AMS, ammonium sulfate, this is not something that I was aware of, but that it needs to be applied at least four months before harvest. So if AMS is your source, and it is a great source of nitrogen, it is a great source of sulfur, it's in the sulfate form, it's a great product, but it needs to be applied four months in front of harvest. So we need to think about that as we're going through and looking at what we're doing. And sometimes we may have to say, okay, knowing that there's a long lag time between the AMS getting into the plant, so what do we got to do? Well, maybe we need to look at using ammonium thiosulfate. Maybe we need to be looking at 32 with some 120026 in it because that's all going to react faster and help us more. There are a lot of things about wheat that are really important. And in America today, we tend to only look at NPK, NPK, NPK. And it was interesting because I was reading studies and they were talking about the fact, some of the studies, the body of work was it was all focused on, all right, you need a bunch of nitrogen and you need a bunch of phosphorus. That's the important two. You got to get those up front. And then I get in and I get to digging in these other studies and they're saying, all right, you need a bunch of phosphorus, you need a bunch of potassium. That's all that really matters. You don't need very much nitrogen. And so I found all these studies, these guys, they have a bias. And as I've worked in this industry for 30 years, I've seen people who, they have a bias towards one particular nutrient, and that's going to be the end all. Where there used to be a company that came around and their deal was they wanted you to get your base saturation rate on calcium to 85% and they didn't care about anything else. That is the only thing that mattered. They wanted your base saturation at calcium at 85%. They didn't care how high your pH got. They didn't care what you did. Get it to 85%. And I had a grown man in my tent at the Farm Progress Show when it was back in his new Mana Colonies in Iowa. And I saw a grown man, 45 years old, crying, literally tears running down his cheek because he'd been doing what they said. His base saturation rate had got up to 75%, but his pH was up to over 8, and his yields were devastatingly low. Guys, there's not one nutrient. we got to use some common sense here. There are things we'd like. Yeah, I'd like to see a base saturation rate of, you know, 65 or 70%. Here's a trivia question for you. The world record dry land corn production was grown on a farm. It had what base saturation rate of calcium? The answer, 50%. There's a lot of things that go into yield on any crop. And getting that calcium base saturation rate up is good, but not at the expense of having too high a pH. We want to make sure we're not doing that with our wheat. When we start looking at, you know, this guy says, oh, you only need N and P. This guy says you only need P and K. You know, we want to make sure that we're really looking at a broad body of work here that's done in a lot of locations. I did find out that something that I already knew is that potassium does a lot of things. Adequate potassium, guys, is important. It helps with stock strength. It helps regulate water usage. There are a lot of reasons that K are important. Now, I want you to go back to an earlier podcast that we did with Dr. Richard Mulvaney from the University of Illinois and listen to his take on using potassium chloride. So you say, okay, well, he was not really for that. Uh, that's the synopsis, but I'd like you to listen to the whole episode. But so what are we going to do? Well, guys, this is why on any crop, 
we want to push a starter with potassium in it. In wheat, we tend to gravitate towards an 8-16-11-2. Why? Because we like that higher amount of K and we like a little bit of sulfur. And that makes a great row place starter. We also know that while K is super important for stock strength, copper and manganese are almost equally important. They are not very far behind. As we rate the importance of things in stock strength and wheat, K is number one, but a very close second is copper and a very close third is manganese. As a matter of fact, at some work that was done over in Germany, the fields that had the highest yield, the highest wheat yields, always come from soils that had the highest manganese level. And they tested this over and over and over again to find this correlation. Now, I'm not going to say that a lot of manganese is a secret to a high yield, because again, while I believe what they said was true, but I'm sure there were other things that were very adequate in that soil. It wasn't just high manganese. It, it's getting everything right. You know, the bottom line is, guys, it is never wrong to do the right thing. And we've got to make everything worked correctly. And so manganese is just a piece of the pie. It's not one nutrient. I got to say that over and over and over again. It's not just nitrogen. It's not just phosphorus. It's not just potassium. It's getting it all correct. It's having adequate boron. It's having the zinc levels right. It's having sulfur right. It's having all of those micros and secondaries right where they need to be. And that is really important that we do this. One of the studies that I read, and this was a multiple site, many year individual testing all over the Midwest, talked about the fact that when he had adequate sulfate, he got up to a 50% more root development. And he did study this because he took farms that were low in sulfur and he went out and he applied sulfate to them and he did strips. And so where he had the sulfate got up to 50% more roots than where he didn't. So it wasn't this farm had high sulfate and this farm over here didn't. So we've had a lot of different factors. These were done correctly. This is good study. These are good things to take a look at. But guys, I want you to pay attention. I'm not saying adequate sulfur. He is saying adequate sulfate. We've had a pretty good discussion over on the TikTok platform, people talking about applying yellow elemental sulfur. And guys, I'm always interested to see how it is that people would rather die than switch. They've been using yellow elemental sulfur, and that's fine. You can do that. I'm not going to come and take away your birthday. But the fact of the matter is, I would encourage you, do a half a field with elemental sulfur. Do the other half with potassium sulfate, ammonium sulfate, ammonium thiosulfate, potassium thiosulfate. Come up with something that's in the sulfate form. Because plants only take up sulfate. And I know from walking fields, guys, that it is very easy to go out and find yellow elemental sulfur right after the truck went over and spread it. Why? Well, because it's yellow and it's easy to see. You can go back to the same field three years later and still see yellow granules. I'm going to suggest that those granules did not get into the plant. They didn't turn into sulfate and they did not go into the plant and therefore they did not turn into yield. And the fact is, guys, sulfur is an important component in a lot of our grass crops. It's important in a lot of our crops. We know that we've got guys out spreading potassium sulfate, ammonium sulfate, ammonium thiosulfate on soybeans. They're wide dropping it. Why are they doing that? Because they know they're getting a yield response. So what does that mean here as we start looking at this wheat? Well, we got a lot of things to consider. What are we going to do? Maybe we ought to set up and put a liquid starter right in the trench. That can be done easily in today's technology right on the drill. 
And when we do that, then what are we going to use? Well, we're not going to use just nitrogen. We're not going to use just phosphorus. We're not going to use just potassium. We're going to take a broad spectrum. Let's pull a soil test and let's give that wheat what it needs. My best guess is that a product of choice will either be an 8-16-11-2 with the appropriate micronutrients or 2-15-19-3. Again, both of these products have sulfur already in them. Both of them have a pretty good charge of potassium, so we can force feed potassium into that plant. Guys, the most important thing we do in crop production is get root development. Because the bottom line is, if we have a plant and the roots go down six inches, then they're only pulling nutrients from the top six inches of that soil profile. But if we can drive those roots down a foot or two feet, then all of a sudden now we're pulling nutrients from a lot bigger area. You know, those roots grow down, then hair roots grow out. They go in between the platelets, the soil platelets, and they exude an acid and they pull that nutrient back in. And especially this is true of potassium. So the more hair roots we can get and the less tight that soil is, the more response we can get into that plant. One of my growers I was talking to Tom the other day. He actually sent me a picture, and they had dug a hole out in a bean field, and they had bean roots down six feet. Now, guys, when you're driving bean roots six feet deep, you're making a difference. You're doing the right thing. And so as we start looking at how deep can we drive these roots on this wheat, what can we do to enhance the hair roots, what can we do to get more nutrient uptake, what's important to regulate water usage, these are some of the things that we need to take into consideration. And I want to encourage you, that if weed is your deal, do some studying. Go into the internet, start looking. Go get on get books like Hands-On Agronomy. Go get books like From the Soil Up. Go get some different books. You know, take a look at the Soil Fertility and Fertilizers that was written by Pearson. I mean, there's a lot of different things that we can do and learn and study to improve our game. We truly do believe in the four R's, absolutely. I believe that the industry is doing a pretty average job of implementing them. They're far better at talking about it than they are doing it. And I want to encourage you as the grower, the 4R thing is not an environmental deal. It is, but that's not what's important. The 4Rs is important because it's profitability. It's how you keep making more money because you take those nutrients and you turn them into yield. Nutrients that turn into groundwater contamination are not a good investment. But nutrients that turn into yield, those are a good investment. And that's what we're after. So we're saying, hey guys, Here's how to best grow that wheat. Let's take the soil test. Let's do exactly what it says. Let's study and figure out what is the best source of nitrogen that we need to use. And that will be different for different people. Let's take a look at what do we need to do from a foliar standpoint. We're going to be featuring someone who did some foliar work with a 26% nitrogen that we have. And they're going to talk about the results that they got. And they were tremendous. And guys, this isn't something that, well, I wish I could be as lucky as they were. Guys, A, there is no luck. Luck is where opportunity meets preparation, plain and simple. The harder I work, the luckier I get. And these guys took a proven method, they implemented it, and they got a tremendous response. So as we launch off into this series, guys, I hope that you enjoy listening to it. We really appreciate you tuning in. As always, we invite you to swing on over to A Better Way to Farm on Facebook. A lot of videos there that you can watch. You can go to TikTok. There's some short videos there that you can watch. And we always invite you to swing by abetterwaytofarm.com and take the profit calculator and find those five things we have isolated to help improve yield. If you find value in what we do, we ask that you would please give us a rating and also you would share this with a friend. Thank you so much for your time. And we really do hope that you are having a better day. A better way to farm.com.
You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.